Was anyone here raptured yesterday? <laughs> Nobody here? You must be all the heathens. Me too, I guess. All right, well, I'm glad you're here and I'm here today. Hey, um, I don't know if you were here a couple weeks ago when I, when I taught um, and I was telling stories about my wife, Carolina, uh, and being lost. Well, that, I really didn't tell the whole story. See, I did get her permission to tell those, but I, I need to really tell more of the story so you can hear maybe the conclusion. Um, but I have to back it up a little bit. When I first started dating Carolina, she lived in Miami Lakes. I lived in Miramar uh, on the east side. I call it the historic area. And uh, she used to come to my house once in a while, and like she knew one way. She would come down uh, 20, uh, Palmetto to 27th and then uh, up past the, univer- the, the, the uh, stadium and then to my home. And she liked the one way. And one time she called me from like, uh, I think it was like the Target on 57th and uh, 168th and 186th. I get all confused, but right there. And she goes, John, how do I get to your house? And I said, well, oh, you're right there. Just come up 57th to Miramar and come over, come east. And she goes, that's not the way I always go. And I said, no, no, but that's okay. You can get there. And she goes, yeah, but what's the way I always go? And I said, honey, there's like multiple ways to come to my house and they're probably all about as quick. No, I want to go by the Palmetto. And I said, well, you've got to go south then if you want. If you want to go the long way around, okay. So I told her how to get there. Now, I didn't realize this, but my wife has like, she confessed this to me yesterday when I was talking about this. She goes, you know, when I started driving, that was like the worst experience of my life uh, and the most stressful time because I don't know how to get around in a car. And you now you have to figure it out. And she just likes the simple. One time, you know, she works downtown and... Uh, you know, she's like, hey, I need to get to the theater. How do I get to the theater? And I said, okay, well, you know where the American Airlines Arena is, right? You know how to get there? And she's like, no, I don't know how to get there. And I'm like, honey, didn't you grow up in Miami? And she goes, yeah. I said, don't you work downtown? She goes, yes. And she goes, well, why don't you know how to get there? And she goes, because I go from my home to work and back again. And if I want to go to the theater, I go from my home to the theater and back again. I don't know any other ways. So I'm like, okay, all right, okay, good. So I've been convincing her to get the GPS and uh, and she would always say, no, 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 I'm not going to get the GPS. And so one day at work, they gave she had to deliver some papers to another office and they gave her directions and she went. And of course, she had to call the office to find out how to get there. So after they went through a similar thing that I experienced and you guys experienced a few weeks ago with me that uh, they said, listen, you need to get a GPS. So she came home that day and she goes, John, uh, I, I, you can get me a GPS now. So I said, yes, all right, I'm going to do that. And so for that Christmas, I did get her a GPS and uh, she keeps it in a dirty sock. I, I'm not sure why, but so anyway, I got her a pink one because I knew if I got it in pink that she would definitely use it. So and my wife is great at stuff like that. When she gets like a gizmo like this, I mean, you know those fat books that you have to read through to learn everything about? Well, she does. She knows everything about this thing. And better than me, when, it's, when it comes to directions, we're like opposites. You give me a gizmo and she has to tell me how to use them, you know? And when it's just the opposite thing. So she got to use this. She used it everywhere. She loved it so much that she would take it with us when we'd go walking. Wherever where we go, she's using this thing. And... uh so she, she would take it and then we'd jump in the car and we're going, okay, we're going to go to dinner. And I'm like, all right, good. We get in the car and then she'll pull this out of the bag. And I'm like, honey, I know how to get there. You know, I know where to go. And she goes, no, 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 no. Let's use the little, let's use her. Calls her her because she has a woman's voice, you know. So now I got to listen to another her in my car. And uh, so I said, uh, I go, honey, I know how to go. And she goes, all right, let me just turn it on. I'm like, okay. So I start driving. And she goes, that's not what she's saying, where to go. And I'm like, honey, there's a lot of ways you can go to this place. And she goes, no, but she's saying that it's going to take five minutes longer the way you're going. I'm like, 
hey, listen, I just want to go. I, I, you know, and um, I'm starting to get annoyed with her. You know, I'm like, honey, don't don't take that in the car with me anymore. You know, and she's like, no, it has to be here. I mean, we would almost get in arguments because I had to do it this way. I had to listen to her. And uh, seriously, it would be get to the point where I'm like, honey. Don't you believe? I mean, I know how to get places. I really do. Remember before you had it, you used to ask me for directions? Listen, we, I would get frustrated kind of with that because, like, she's listening to the girl instead of me. I mean, I guess I don't blame her really, right? Because it's a, to, to trust the GPS. I mean, most of these times, these gadgets, something electronic is, is a little bit, has more information than you and I do, right? And they rarely make mistakes. I mean, sometimes they do. But, you know, and they also just do what they're told. But this thing has, like, so much information in it. It's got millions of bits of information in it. It has maps all around the world. I mean, places I've never been are on this. So I get it. I get why she wants to, to listen to that. But, I mean, I'm not so bad either. You know, scientists tell me I've only used 10% of my brain capacity right now. I've got a lot of potential here. You know, she could, she could maybe give a little here. But I understand because humans are, are more limited, aren't they? I mean, it's harder for us to do calculations and things like that, especially if you're not good at math. But how many here remember your first birthday? Anyone? Someone raised their hand? Come on. <laughs> All right, your second birthday. Your third birthday. Okay, there's a couple. I see timid hands going up. The point is, we don't even remember stuff that's in here that can come out. So, of course, why not trust something that always remembers Something that's tangible, something that we always know is going to give us the right answer. I mean, really, the, we never know what's going to come out of the head of the person next to us, do we? Right? Ladies, don't elbow your husbands, okay? But it makes sense just to trust a gadget over a person. And I think she was right to do it, but it bothered me. It bothered me because I want her to believe in me. I want her to trust in me. I mean, we all want to be trusted, right? Especially by those closest to us. We want to be trusted. We want to be able to tell them the truth and they tell us the truth. And we're looking out for their best interest. Any worthwhile relationship is built on trust, isn't it? Right? I mean, if you're in the army, military units are based on trust. Everybody doing their assigned work in order for it to work right. If you're in a partnership, you are trusting that other partner in order for your corporation or your business to work. Sports teams need to trust one another, right? If LeBron, Wade, and Bosch aren't trusting each other, right, we were all waiting to see if they were going to harmonize. We were waiting to see if they would trust each other and play together. And amazingly, look where they're at. Who's going to watch the game tonight? Yeah. All right. Good. Listen, if you don't have trust in your relationship with your husband and wife, you're just not going to get very far. And it's no different when it comes to our relationship with God. God has been establishing a relationship with trust from us from the very beginning. I mean, that's how he started it, really. You guys know the story. Adam and Eve, he created, he puts them in the garden, and they can do whatever he wants. And then he puts this tree in the middle of the garden, and he says, there's one tree that you're not supposed to touch. And I'm going to leave it up to you. I'm going to trust you, because we have a relationship of trust. I trust you with this responsibility, because God understands that trust is a two-way street. If you want someone to trust you, then you must be trustworthy and you must trust them. It's the only way to have true relationship. Listen, we're in the, the, the series Inside Out in the book of Romans. And if you haven't had your Bibles out, go ahead and pull them out and turn to chapter four. Listen, in chapter one through three, Paul has been talking and establishing the fact that we have all blown it with God. 
We've already blown the trust issue. We've messed it up. And so before God, we've, before the law, we are bad. We are wrong. He says that, um, that we, oh, excuse me, I'm, I'm sorry I got lost a little bit. But uh, he says, listen, we, what we need to do, Paul begins as he starts into chapter 4, is that we've blown it. I've shown you that you've blown it through 1 through 3. We have to get back to a relationship with trust with God. And so what we're going to be talking about today is faith. And there's four things that I want you to know about faith. And when you pull out your outline, we're going to fill them in. And the first thing is this. The first fill-in is this. Faith is the only way I am made right with God. Faith is the only way that I am made right with God. And Paul is writing to the Jews who believe in the law of Moses. They believed that that they could keep the law, then they would be made right. Because the law was given to them, and if they could do it, everything hinged upon the law. And in chapter 3, he starts at the end, he says this interesting thing. At the end of chapter 3, he says, yeah, but people are justified by simply believing. Apart from the law, apart from the regulations, apart from the rules. Now, is this something new? Is this some new doctrine that Paul suddenly just starts talking about? No. Actually, it's been around for some time. Because what we have to do is not go to the law of Moses. We have to go back to where it all started. We have to go back to the father of Israel. We have to go back to Abraham. And that's where he starts right here in chapter 4. Let's pick it up. It says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works... He has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted. uh, It was accounted as accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Impute means to put it on him. So here he is. He starts off with this story. He starts off with Abraham. Now, you guys may have heard of Abraham before, but Abraham, we have a map over here. But Abraham was this guy. He's just hanging out at this place right here. It's called Ur. And this right here is what's called the Mesopotamian Valley right here, or it's called the Fertile Crescent. And you can see all these rivers and stuff. So obviously, like, things grew there. So a lot of people hung out there or lived there, if you will. And here's where Abraham was. And God calls Abraham out and he says, come on all the way over here and come to this land right here. It's called Canaan at that time. It will be Israel like it is today. And he says, just hang out there for a while. So Abraham makes this journey and he's in this land of Canaan and he's there for 14 years hanging out, doing nothing. And while he's there, he had brought a cousin with him, a nephew, excuse me, named Lot. And Lot and him decide, well, at one point it's time to separate. And he goes to this little place down here called Sodom. It's right near the Dead Sea down at the bottom. And there, Lot is living. And what happens, living with the guys there, and what happens is these five kings get together in this alliance and they're going to attack the city of Sodom. And they go, they attack it, they win, they take all the gold, they take all the people, they take a lot along with him. And Abraham gets wind of this. And Abraham's like, man, 
They got my nephew. So he gets all his servants together and he goes after them and he defeats them in battle. And then he comes back with, his, with Lot and everybody else. And then he gets back home and I, I mean, he must have been thinking, what's going to happen now? I mean, I just whooped up on these kings and they're going to come back for me. You know, their older brother's coming. And so he's probably afraid. And here in Genesis, I put it in your outline, this is what happens, this is what the Lord does. He comes to him to comfort him and says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abraham said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, referring to Eliezer, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to them, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. See, God makes this covenant with Abraham. He makes this promise. Your seed, your kids are going to be like forever. I mean, he's, he's like 89, I mean, excuse me, he's, he was 86 when he came into the land. He's going to be 100 years old and his wife's going to be 90. And they go into the land and there, he has no kids at all. And God makes this promise to him, don't be afraid, but I'm going to do this. Come on outside for a minute. Look up into the stars. Do you see all those? Yeah. Can you count all those? No, I can't count all those. That's what your children are going to be like. That's how many your descendants are going to be. And he makes this covenant. And Abraham walks out there, having no children at all, being an old man, goes, I believe you, God. And God says, because you believed, he accounted it to him as righteousness. And this happened 400 years before the law ever came. In fact, if we were to read the rest of the story in Genesis, later that day, he, makes this, he does this thing called the covenantal walk. God seals the covenant with Abraham that he's going to do this for him and that he is justified by faith. So Paul first starts off saying, look at this promise, this righteousness. You see, it was even before the law ever came. And he said, David knew about it. We just read that verse in there. But he says, look, David knew about it. David wrote the psalm after he had been with Bathsheba. You guys probably know the story. David's hanging out one day and he sees Bathsheba taking a bath. And he's like, hey, I like her. Bring her over. And then he has a child with her. And then the husband, her, uh, Uriah, comes back, his, her husband, and he's from, from the military, and he orchestrates it so that Uriah dies. So now he's an adulterer and a murderer, and he's feeling the weight of his sin. And before God, he says this, I'll read it again, it's in your outline, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. David knew that what he had done, according to the law, was deserving of death. He should have been stoned. He's like, I have no recourse. I have nowhere to go. The law has just told me that I've messed up and there's nothing I can do. And he says, blessed is the man who God does not impute iniquity. Paul uses David's example to show us that the law cannot save. So the law couldn't save anyway. Let's read on for a minute. In verse 9 it says... Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? 
not while he was circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but also who walk in the steps of faith, which our father Abraham, while still uncircumcised. I don't know how many times it said that circumcised there, but I was, my tongue was getting tied up. Listen, he says, listen, the law can't do it. The law can't. David showed us that righteousness came by faith before the law ever existed, but it came to Abraham. So is it just to Abraham and his seed? Is it just to those people? Because there was this thing that he did. One day he comes up to Abraham. God goes hey, from heaven. Hey, Abraham, what? I want you to... What? You want me to what? You want me to circumcise? What? My family? Me? And all my descendants? That doesn't sound like fun, God. God says, listen, this is going to be a sign that you showed faith. And so the question comes, you know, is it just through his seed that we're saved? Is that the, the promise came to him and his family? And, and Paul points out, no, because when it happened, when he made the covenant with God or God made the covenant with him, it was before he was even circumcised. That means every single person, whether you're a Jew or a non-Jew, are welcome to experience righteousness by faith. Listen, have you ever wondered how old people were saved, or people, not old people, people were saved in the Old Testament? Have you ever wondered that? I mean, we think, yeah, Jesus came, we're saved because of his sin. What, how did they, how did they, and we believe that, how, do, how did they get saved? They didn't even know he was there. How did someone get saved? Well, because they tried to keep the law. Well, the Bible says, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Well, because they sacrificed. They brought sacrifices. And the Bible says the bull, the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. It was by faith. It was by faith. They believed God at his word and they did it. Listen, we have to understand something. That salvation was made possible by Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. His sacrifice, his atoning work on the cross, paying the penalty for all our sins, was done by him. And by no other way can that be addressed. Only through Jesus Christ. There's no other way under heaven or name under heaven by which we must be saved, the Bible says. No matter what prayers you say, no matter what lifestyle you lead, no matter good deeds that you do, no matter how, what levels of higher consciousness you achieve, it will never deal with the sin issue. It will, the payment will always remain. And so the only way for it to have been taken away is for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. So that's how it's done. Every one of us need that. But the mechanism that saves you and me is faith in what God said about his son. God said, I did this for you. This is the testimony. Do you believe it? Are you going to trust me at my word? Are you going to believe me? In the Old Testament, when they brought sacrifices to the temple, did they actually see their, t- their sins disappear? I mean, you brought it and then, bing, a sign, sins forgiven. Right? Did that happen? When they brought the, the, the sacrifice to the temple, they, they didn't know. They didn't know. All they had was God's word. If you bring the sacrifice, it'll cover your sin for now until the one who comes will take it all away. Listen, you can actually sacrifice and not believe. But you cannot believe and then not sacrifice. 
People came because they believed. I believe God, and that's why they sacrificed. Listen, faith is going to play an important part of your life. So many people think that Christianity is about a set of rules. I was a foreman for a while at this company, and uh, there was like a few guys that were beneath me, like five guys I was in control of, or control, I was over. <laughs> uh, and I was, I was, it was a time when I was going through, into the Bible college. I wasn't a pastor, but I was like, I would share Christ with everyone I knew. I would tell them everything I know. And uh, these guys were one day getting changed and they're getting ready to go at the end of the day. And there was like four of them and they're like talking about a game or a fight or something they're going to go see at a bar or whatever. And they're going, and I'm like, wow, it sounds like a lot of fun. They go, yeah, yeah, but you can't come. You can't go to happy hour. I'm like, what? They, yeah, you're a Christian. You can't do this. And I'm thinking, what? This is the mindset that people have. Right? That you are a Christian, you can't do it. What I said to them, I don't think made any sense to them, but I said, if there's anyone who can do it, it's me because I'm forgiven for my sins. I said to them. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they got it at all, but I was like, listen, people do that, don't they? They find out you're a Christian and they're like, there's this whole set of rules that you've got to live by. It's true, we want to live by those rules for many different reasons, but it's not what's going to make us right before God. It never will. Listen, the, the, in 1 John it says this, chapter 3, it's in your outline. He says, and this is his commandment, God's commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Here's the commandment that I'm giving you, that you believe in my son, that you have faith. Chap, uh, the, the second thing I want you to know about faith is this. Faith looks beyond my own limitations. Faith looks beyond my own limitations. We're going to read, pick it up again in Romans verse 13. It says, For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through right, the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect, because the law brings about wrath. For there, where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who he believed. God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope and hope believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Let me have your attention for a minute. Abraham had every reason not to believe God's promise, didn't he? He had every reason to believe it. He was a hundred years old. Think about this. They were traveling in the land. They'd been together, married for who knows how many years. And they probably were trying to have children like 30 or 40 years. Right? Think about that. Some of us are not even that old in here. That's how long they've been trying. By that time, I mean, think about it. There's, this is a barrier. This is an obstacle, God, we can't get over. And to top it all off, by that time, Sarah wasn't even able to have children anymore. This is one huge obstacle. Sometimes we look at our situation and say, you know what? It can't be done. I can't do it. You know, this usually works that way in our lives when it comes to obedience with God. It kind of does. 
You know, we say something like, Lord, I'd love to give, but I can't do it because financially it's just not there. God, I know I have this thing in this relationship that I really need to change. I need to fix that situation. But look at, look at, I just can't afford to do that. I, 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 what, if I don't, I'll be all alone. If this happens, and we have all these, we have these obstacles that we put in our way that keep us from believing what God has said. Listen, we can convince ourselves of all sorts of things if we want. Have you ever been to the circus? Somebody? Probably. And you've seen maybe the elephant that's there, and they're well trained, but a lot of times when they're out, they just stake, they put a chain to their leg and a little stake in the ground. A little 12 inch stake is in the ground. Now, an elephant, during the show, they're doing these, all these amazing feats of strength. And these elephants can knock over a tree, you know? And yet he's held in place by a little 12-inch stake. And do you know why that is? Because when he was young, they, trained, they staked him off when he was just a little guy. And he learned, because he was chained to that stake, that he couldn't break free of it. And somewhere along the line, at one point in his life, he was convinced that he could no longer do that anymore. And so now when he's old, even though he could just probably walk right out of there, he's chained and held back by the obstacle that he perceives is keeping him from being free. You know, sometimes we can be like the elephant. We see the obstacles and it keeps us from following after God. And we are humbled by the smallest thing that doesn't even compare to the glory or the things that God has in store for us. We get tied, tied to our circumstance instead of being free to experience all that God has for you and me. There's this interesting story in the book of Matthew and Jesus goes back to his hometown of Nazareth. And he's in there after he'd been doing all these miracles and stuff and he, and he goes into the synagogue, which he usually did. He went right to the synagogue and he starts teaching. And so the local townspeople are looking at this guy and they're like, wow, where did he get this wisdom? How does he know the scriptures so well? And they're looking on, but they're like, isn't that the carpenter's son that used to live around here? Isn't that the son of Mary? Aren't his brothers and sisters like hanging out in our neighborhood? I mean, really? And so what says something interesting says they were offended at him. And then in your outline, it says this because I wanted you to see it for yourself. It says, now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. It was not that Jesus could suddenly do no more miracles. Like, oh, he doesn't have the power to do it anymore. It was because of their unbelief that they didn't experience them then. When Jesus would walk into a city, they would bring everybody, it says, from that city to be healed. And everyone would be healed. But here in Nazareth, because they were offended and they didn't believe him, they didn't bring anybody to him. Or very few did. And so he says he could only do a few miracles among them. You see, their lives could have been dramatically changed if they had believed and just trusted in Him. And that's the price of unbelief, guys. It robs you and me of the blessings that God has for us. We don't really need to understand all of God's ways. All we need to do is believe and trust in Him. You see, we need Abraham as our example because he ignored the physical limitations that were about him. All the obstacles, he ignored them. Listen to what Romans 4.19 sounds like in the message translation. Again, it's in your outline or on the screen. It says, Abraham didn't focus on his own impotence and say, it's hopeless. These, uh, this hundred-year-old body could never father a child. Nor did he survey Sarah's decades of infertility and give up. He didn't tiptoe around God's promise asking cautiously skeptical questions. 
He plunged into the promise and came up strong. God wants you to come up strong. But our faith has to transcend our circumstances for that to happen. Here's uh, the, another thing that you need to know about faith in your outline. The size of my faith, and I want to cross out is and put will be. The size of my faith will be proportional to the size of my God. The size of my faith will be proportional to the size of my God. Abraham didn't lower his expectations when it came to God. I mean, yeah, there were these obstacles, right? I'm not able to have children, whatever. But let's just say he even had one child. God made this amazing promise to him. Remember, God called him out and he said, your children are going to be like the stars in the sky. They're going to be like the number of sea in the sand, the sand in the sea, the number of grains. That's how many. Now, if we, any one of us said that, we would say, wow, from my child, that's going to come. That's an amazing promise. And God and Abraham did not lower his expectation. Listen, I don't know if you guys know it, but Abraham wasn't always called Abraham. His name was Abram before that. Abraham means exalted father. That's what the name means. Can you imagine this guy walking around his town? You know, not a single child. He's been trying forever. And people are like, here goes exalted father. You know, like this guy, what an embarrassment. Your name is exalted father. You don't have a child at all. I mean, Abraham, I can only feel sorry for him. But then God does this thing. He goes, listen, change your name from Abram to Abraham. Abraham means father of many nations. Now, Abraham, imagine Abraham going into town. They're all making, they're all laughing at exalted father. He's like, hey, I've changed my name from exalted father to father of many nations. And they're like, they're like laughing at him. Abraham goes and changes his name before there's even a child because he believed God so much. Okay, God, you said that. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to risk the embarrassment. I'm going to go because I believe that your promise is true. Abraham decided to change his name because he believed that God was big enough for him. In Romans 4.20, it says this, He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Abraham was fully convinced, God, you can do it. I believe it no matter what, even though I can't see it or I can't conceive of it. Are you convinced today that God is able to perform big things in your life? Are you convinced of it? At one point in our lives, I think all of us will be challenged by that. It happened for me 16 years ago. 16 years ago, I moved to Florida. I am not from Florida. I grew up in Massachusetts. People ask me, do I root for the Celtics or the Heat? My rule is I root for the local people. So I've been rooting for the Heat for some time now. I also knew that would ingratiate myself to you. But <laughs> Listen, I moved here 16 years ago and I came down here to work for a year at a homeless shelter for teens. It's called Covenant House. And when I came down here, I was like kind of wondering what I was going to do with the rest of my life. So I thought, I'm just going to take a step toward God. I'm going to do this thing. And I came down here. And when I was here, I went to Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. I started going there. And they have a Bible college. And I started taking some classes. At the same time, in the back of my mind, for years, I had already graduated. I had an undergraduate degree. And I had wanted to get my MBA, my master's in business and administration. And I had lived in California and I thought I was going to go to Berkeley, but something came up and I went, some, I went back to Massachusetts. And then when I stayed there for a few years and I came back, I'm like, okay, this is a time again where I can do that. So I flew to Chapel Hill, 
South Carolina, uh, North Carolina. I flew to Indiana University, to Purdue. I flew to Austin, Texas, to the University of Texas. I interviewed at all these places, and I had all the applications in my hand. And Purdue was actually calling me back because of the way I presented how I wanted to get my MBA. And they're like, hey, are you going to apply or not? And I literally remember standing above the trash can with this flimsy little Bible college application in one hand and this stack of MBA uh, uh, applications in the other. And this is how my thinking was going at that time. I was like, okay, Lord, this is what I'm going to do. I think that you, I want, you want me to do some ministry, but here's what I'm going to do, God. I'm going to get an MBA. I'm going to get a job that makes lots of money. I'm going to make it so that I'm well off financially. And then what I'll do is then I'll come back and I'll do the ministry when I'm all set and ready. And that's what I was thinking. And in my mind, I, I don't know if it was God or what it was, but it, I just said, John, you're kidding yourself. You're kidding yourself. Do you really think that when you're in a position of privilege or you're in a position where you've got this certain lifestyle that you're just going to give it up and be all that you can be instead if you pursue ministry and let God do what he wants to do? And at that point I said, am I going to trust my dreams and what I think I can accomplish or am I going to trust what God is going to do? I took the stack, as you know, probably by now figured out, I threw it in the trash. All those applications to get the MBA. I called up Purdue and said, listen, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to come to that school. I'm going to go to a Bible college and pursue ministry. We have to ask our questions at one point in our lives. Are we going to trust God with everything? Are we going to give it to him? The prophet Jeremiah lived in a dark time of of, uh, history in Israel. You see, it was at this time where Babylon had already taken over the land. And there was some, what they call a vassal king. They set up some Israel people as kings. But during this time period, they were rebelling against Babylon. And Jeremiah the prophet keeps coming to the king and he says, The king, listen, Babylon is going to come in here because you're messing things up. And he's going to destroy the city. He's going to burn it to the ground. He's going to take over the land and kick everybody out. And they even imprisoned him because they didn't believe him and they didn't want to hear him. And then God comes to Jeremiah and he says, listen, your uncle's going to come to you and he's going to offer you a plot of land and I want you to buy it as your inheritance. And Jeremiah's like, what? Buy a plot of land? You told me they're wiping this place out. Why should I buy a plot of land here? Why would Before you're going to come, take everything away. Why should I spend my money on that? And God says, because that is assurance of a promise that the people of Israel are going to come back into this land and when they do, you're going to get that field. And Jeremiah goes, okay, I'll do it. And he starts this prayer. And here's just the beginning of that prayer. It says this. um, And then asked him. uh, I'm totally lost. Sorry, guys. Here it is. Ah, behold, God, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. He didn't even ask the question. He said, there is nothing too hard for you. But the question is posed to you right now, today. Is there anything too hard for your God? Is there anything too hard for your God? Is there something he can't do? You see, a lot of times we pursue so hard after things to try to make them happen instead of giving it into the hands of God. Are you single here today? Are you putting it in God's hands or are you obsessing over it? I don't know if this is any encouragement to you, but I didn't get married until I was 42 years old. 42, never been married before or anything. When I went, when we planted a church here in Miami, 
Bob asked me if I would come along with him and I was just some volunteer. I knew I was coming to a place where I didn't speak the language, that I didn't know people, and that there was going to be no available women in a tiny church plant for years. And I said, you know, God, I'm just going to trust you that you're going to do right by me. And now, you guys know I have a lovely wife. You see her all the time. That's right. I want you to know that when you put your faith in God and you don't obsess over it and you don't just keep trying to force it, I'm not saying don't accept dates or anything like that. I'm just saying let that go. Let God handle it. Are you married but you're going through a difficult time? Can you trust God if you bring it before Him that He's going to take care of it? Are you struggling in some area of your life where you're just trying to orchestrate things and make them happen? Like children or finances or career or estates. And we're trying so hard to make those things happen to get what we want. Or are you willing not to worry about it and leave it in God's hands? Are you willing to believe He's able? Is yours the God of Abraham and Jeremiah who could do anything? Listen, this is a final few verses here in Romans that I'd like to read. It's verse 23 we start. It says, Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. I I love it when the Bible says these things like this. And he says, listen, it wasn't written for Abraham alone. What I've just told you wasn't here just for his sake. I mean, I told you this for your sake, for our sake, for yours right now, so that you would understand a few things. And this, let's let's fill in the last, fill in in our outline number four. It says, my faith brings glory to God. My faith brings glory to God. Why did God establish the principle of righteousness by faith? Why? Why would he do that? Because it's the only way my relationship with Him can remain constant in spite of my failures. You see, the, the law failed to bring righteousness. And we are human and we blow it all the time. That means if it was based on how good we could do in comparison to the law, we'd constantly be on the outs with God. We'd constantly be messing up because we're, we're just flesh. And we live like flesh. And our flesh is weak. So God says, listen, I want to establish this relationship on righteousness so that we will always be together. So it won't be dependent on what you do, but it will be dependent on what I have done, the righteousness of my son. Listen, the law was never intended to make any of us righteous. It was there to show us how we weren't righteous. It was there to show us. That's what David experienced. David saw the law and he said, man, I've blown it. It was there to show us what righteousness actually looks like. And then we would see that how he fell short of it. You see, Abraham had to realize that his body was dead before God could work. That's what the verses say there, right? He recognized that his body was dead. He had to admit that he was dead and for him to place his trust and his faith in God. You see, because if he thought his body could produce a son then when God made the promise, he may not have had to believe it. You know, my son, he, you know, I know it's hard, but I, that could have been me. If he was able to have children, then the promise that the, all these people of Israel would come through him, well, you know, maybe it was me. 
You know, because I, I mean, my body was still alive. I still, we were still able to produce a child. And it's only when he recognized that he was dead. And then when he did that, when he had faith, that brought glory to God and not to Abraham. He had no choice but to say, God, it's you. That was you. It wasn't me. It wasn't some accidental. It happened. And so when we do and trust God, it's the same for you and me. We put our faith in it glorifies God. The law, the law is showing us that you and I are dead. We're dead. And when we realize this, we can only, only then can we turn to God in faith. You see, if we think we are living by our own righteousness, then we will never be saved by grace. We will never come to God and trust and believe in Him. It's only when you realize, when I realize that we're dead, will we recognize the righteousness of God and realize it in our lives. When Jesus walked the earth, there were many people that followed after Him. For all sorts of reasons. There was always these crowds that were around Him. And they saw like, these miracles that Jesus did. Now when someone could work a miracle, and no one did except for Jesus in His day, or until the apostles, then they were doing it too. But before that, there were just hundreds of years before God was working through people. And they knew though, if they could do this thing that was supernatural... They could do something out of the ordinary, like heal somebody, that only that power could come from God, so that this person must know something about God. This person must have some length and could tell us how and what we are supposed to do in order to please God. And so they ask him, listen in John uh, chapter 6, it's in your outline, it says, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Jesus didn't say to them, go ahead and keep the law. Do all that the law says. He didn't say, go off now and do these amazing feats and these amazing acts. He said, do this one thing. Believe in what God is telling you about His Son. God said, salvation is through His Son. God said, I put all of the sins on Him. Do you believe God? Do you believe that? It's then that we get back to the relationship of trust that God really intended. Isn't it? It's really so simple when we think about it. It's about relationship, like I said, from the very beginning. It's just like the GPS issue. If Carolina trusts me and puts her faith in me, then she glorifies me, doesn't she? And if I trust her and I put my faith in her, then I glorify her. And all along, God's been saying, will you put your faith and trust in me? Just like from the very beginning, when we started a relationship of faith together. When we do that, that's when we have the relationship that God desires. The Bible says this in Hebrews, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder for those who seek him diligently. God desires a relationship, you, that's fully based on trust. Without faith, it is impossible to, believe, to, to um, please God. Listen, everything in life begins and ends right here on faith. Everything. Our relationship with God, the things that we do, what we believe in, all start here with faith. And God is saying, listen, believe in me. Always. Even when it's hard. Even when it feels like I'm not there. Even when you feel like you don't want to. You open this book right here and you believe what I said in it. There are times in life I feel very far from God. There are times in life where I feel depressed. There are times where I'm angry. I don't know what. And I open this word and I have a choice. 
I can believe the emotions that are going on inside my head or I can say, you know what? This is a promise from God. God is true and I believe him. Are you going to trust God at his word? That's the question today. Are you going to believe in him? Listen, your faith, again, is going to be the deciding factor for every single thing that you do in life. I want to leave you with these two things today. Listen, two questions. What obstacle is in the way of you following God completely? What obstacle is in the way of you following God completely? And the second is this. What is it that God is calling you to do, but it seems so great you dare not attempt it? What is God calling you to do, but it seems so great you dare not attempt it? Listen, I want you to let you know the answer to these questions. You can make the right decision right now to trust Him and allow God to do something amazing in your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much that even when we've been unfaithful, You're constantly faithful. And there's so many examples throughout history of how You've tried to show us that You desire a relationship of faith and trust between us and You. Lord, thank You for constantly pursuing us. Thank You for Jesus who died on the cross to save us and take away the penalty of our sins. Lord, I pray for everyone here today that may have been challenged in some area of their life where they recognize, Lord, I need to trust you more. I need to give this up to you. I pray, Lord, you give them the strength and the courage to do it. Lord, I pray that after today, it wouldn't just be a thought that exits their heads, but they would strive to trust and believe. And Lord, I pray you answer in tremendous ways. Would you bless them? We thank you, Lord, for everything you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.